James chapter 1, and specifically this morning we will look at verses 19 through 25, hearers and doers. And I have thought many times that my words fly out of my mouth faster than I can think about them. And many times I want to take back those words that flew out so easily because they were wrong. And I was not um, slow to speak. Uh, I was uh, not quick to hear the whole story. And I don't know if you have had this situation like I. You begin to jump to conclusions before you hear everything. And then you say something that you regret. And you make other people angry with you. And your quick words bring your own wrath, judgment, and anger uh, upon another person. Or maybe that's just me that does that. You can ask my family that many a time I have had to ask for forgiveness because I have quickly said things without hearing and listening to the whole story. I've thought many times, how would the outcome have changed if I wouldn't have said a word? If I would have just listened and maybe prayed in that moment and then responded, would I have responded with wisdom that God would grant me in that moment? Hearing and doing, the Word of God is the theme of the text that we look today. And it may seem when you read through James that we keep having all these little snippets of something else. But when you read the book of James, you see how it is all woven together for the life of the believer. The evidence of the faith that a believer has in Christ. Therefore, Christians are to hear the Word and not only just know the Word of God, but also to do it. But there is the challenge that we face in that James says to the believers uh, that we can be uh, quick to speak and um, have an excuse of why we should not obey the Word of God. The point of the text today is that the faith uh, that we have in Christ is demonstrated in our obedience to the Word of God. And the, the Word of God says that if we love God, we will obey Him. Therefore, the scriptural truth this morning is this. The Christian who knows the Word and does it will be blessed. The Christian who knows the Word and does it will be blessed. Let's look in verses 19 through 25 of James chapter 1. James writes this and says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore... Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing the word of God. And we are so blessed. If you need to be remembered, reminded this morning, we have the word of God, the truth of God's word that you and I can read and the Holy Spirit can give us understanding and empower us to be obedient and to live by it. 
Again, as we look at James and what we've seen in the first few verses here in chapter 1, is he's writing to the believers that how our faith or authentic faith is displayed in the midst of trials. If you go back to the first few verses we looked at, he says, count it all joy when you're faced with many trials. And he says that you need wisdom and that we have a good heavenly Father who gives wonderful gifts. And he says to ask for wisdom in the midst of the trial and to ask in faith and he will grant it because the goal of going through the trial for the believer is to come through the trial, which he does, and to also to grant you growth in uh, a spiritual growth in Christ. And so we know from James chapter 1 that God gives freely wisdom that he grants us and he tells us now here we find it in the word of God. And for many of you, you'd say, well, of course, The wisdom of God is found in the Word of God. But I find it fascinating when you read the book of James, when you read letters that the Apostle Paul writes to the churches, things that seem natural to us are to be reminders because we so easily move from the wisdom of God to the wisdom of the world masked under some type of thing that we think is better when we need to rest and hear and know and do the Word of God. Look with me at verses 19 through 21. The first point, we are to be hearers of the word. In verse 19, he says, Know this, my beloved brothers. And I love that phrase there, that you must not forget that you as a believer in Christ, that you are loved by God. That not only are we called to love one another as Christ has loved us, but you are loved by God as it was prayed for and we, uh, earlier that we would be reminded that the believer is adopted by God, made a child of God because he loves us. Therefore, when we read in chapter 1, like last week, he is the father of lights. Every good and perfect gift comes from him for his children. Our God is a good God, and he loves his children. And you must not forget that wonderful truth this morning. He says, my beloved brothers, know this, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And last week, as we looked at the fact of being tempted to sin, we talked about that sanctification process and being dead, uh, 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 and that in Christ we're being made new, that every day, if you are a follower of Christ, the constantly, moment by moment, the Holy Spirit is working in you, growing you and making you more like Christ. This process of sanctification is happening, but you must not forget there is still a battle because you are not glorified, because your soul has not been made perfect in holiness. You walk this earth as a new, uh, a, a new creature in Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit of God. But there's a battle because we still live in the flesh. Therefore, the temptation is real to go after the flesh, to be a person that is filled with anger and to be filled with pridefulness. Whereas verse 21 says, when he says to get rid of all filthiness and wickedness, there is the battle that the believer still faces daily to go back to that filth and that wickedness of our of ourself that is dead in Christ. Specifically here, look at verse 19. Um, we can have rash and hasty tongues that lead quickly to anger. And that anger shuts our ears off. And we don't want to listen to any truth. We don't want to listen to anyone when anger is upon us. If any of you have been angry before, 
so angry that everything just is blocked out. And later you realize, oh, I was wrong. That anger not only blinds you, but causes you to be deaf to the truth, and specifically the truth of God. So look at those three phrases there. Be quick to hear, be slow to speak, and be slow to anger. Be quick to hear. Don't elbow elbow the person next to you and say, hey, you need to hear this. Because it probably means you need to hear this. Be quick to hear. Verse 20, specifically, hearing the implanted word of God, which we'll look at. But there's a difference between I heard you and I'm listening to you. Do you hear someone when they're speaking to you? Do you connect with their eyes and listen to them, be able to tell them, oh, this is what I hear you saying? Or do you listen where you're staring off into the distance, where you look and act like you're hearing them, but you're thinking of what am I going to say next? Or you're thinking about, I just can't wait to get out of here so I can go uh, check this news feed or watch that show or whatever it may be. There's a difference between listening and actually hearing. And the call here is to be quick to hear. And it reminds us of passages in the book of Proverbs, a place where you can find much wisdom that's written for us. Proverbs 11, verse 12, Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. Are you quick to hear and remain silent when someone speaks? Proverbs 17, verse 28, it says, Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. Even the fool is considered intelligent when he is quiet. So not only in your relationships, talking with people and listening to people and how you respond, but James is calling you to the Word of God. And are you quick to hear the Word of God? Or are you quick to have a response to God's Word so you can argue what you read in the Word of God? God demands that you listen to his word. And one of the things that's needed is not only quietness, that we'd be quick to hear, but what about quietness to read and listen to the word of God? To take time to sit with the word of God and listen to it or read it and to hear the truths of God. I'm not talking about listening to someone else or reading another book or or whatever. I'm like simply the Word of God. Those moments of quietness that are needed in every believer's life to hear the Word of God. But he also says, secondly, he says, be quick to hear. And then he says, be slow to what? Slow to what? To speak. You ever walked into a room and you begin to say to someone, hey, and before you can even say your sentence, they're like, ah, I don't know what you're doing. And they're just yelling at you. You're like, they get done. You're like, could you hand me that pen? You ever done that? You just responded. You just said something because you, th- you think you're being attacked. You think you're being accused of something. And they're like, I just want that piece of paper over there. And sometimes we just, out of our flesh, do that. I find it comical at times, um, maybe because we have five children or being around groups of kids when something bad happens, something gets broken, someone sees something, and all the kids talk at once to tell their story. 
and one talks louder than the other, and then they start elbowing. It's like, just be quiet. I want to tell my story. I mean, again, being quick to uh, speak. One woman I know of um, was at a soccer game, and she um, turned to the pregnant woman next to her and said, hey, why don't you take my chair? You're pregnant. You need to sit down. And she turned and said, um, I'm not pregnant. I'm just fat. This woman was like, I should have not said anything. Again, are you quick to say something so fast that it, everything goes out the window, which leads, as he says, to anger? Are you quick when you read the Word of God and you hear and it just angers you? That's not right. And you begin to go through your processes and you like start to argue and say these things. Not that it's wrong to process these things whatsoever. But are you quick to speak against what uh, God's Word has for you? It says in Proverbs chapter 15, <clears throat> verses 1 and 2, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouths of fools pour out folly. The fool is the person who speaks quickly and puts his foot in his mouth and becomes angry when someone corrects him. And so the opposite of what James is saying here, the person who is slow to hear, the person who is quick to speak, will become angry. Instead, James says, be slow to what? What's the third thing he says there? Be slow to what? Anger. Be slow to anger. And for many of us, even if we're not the explosive type that yell at people, anger can rise up in our hearts. And anger affects how we respond to one another. The command to love one another as Christ has loved us. To love our brother and sister in Christ and the Lord. And yet, a response of anger. I can't believe he did that. I can't believe she did that. And it causes us to not be obedient to the word of God and not to love one another. Turn to Exodus chapter 34. Far left-hand side of the Bible. Second book, Genesis, Exodus <clears throat> speaking of God's character and how he even describes himself helps us in the response where James says to be slow to anger. Verse 6, he says, it says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. And you see that? Slow to what? Anger. And abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Back there in verse 6, a God merciful and gracious. We love that. We just sang about that. But do you see that? Slow to anger. Go back and read in the Old Testament how many times was God angered at the nation of Israel. And he was slow to his anger in responding. That's the call for us to be slow to anger. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4, <clears throat> Verse 26 and 27, be angry and do not sin. 
Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. You say, wait a minute. We're not to be angry in James, but then Paul says to be angry and not sin. There's a difference. There's righteous anger and there's unrighteous anger. And James is dealing with the fact that there should not be unrighteous anger because all that continues to do is not only is it sin, but it leads to more sinfulness and wickedness and filthiness as he warns of. The Apostle Paul says, do, be angry and do not sin. That when we read the Word of God and the Holy Spirit works in us, that we do see things in this world that is wickedness and sin. And it is things that actually we are angered about, but we have a righteous anger for. And it says, though, don't let the sun go down on your anger, because then what you do is you give the devil a foothold, leading to unrighteous anger and sinfulness. Therefore, being Quick-tempered is wrong, as is all unrighteous, man-centered anger. I think sometimes we think that it's right for us to be angry about something and say, well, this is righteous anger, but yet it's something that we just invented because we're angry with someone when we need the Word of God to show us what is right, what is wrong, the righteousness of Christ, the unrighteousness of man, and therefore to be able to evaluate our anger. But look at back in James Chapter 1, it says in verse 20, For the anger of man does not produce the what? The righteousness of God. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Unrighteous anger is sin. And it shows, really, for the Christian, a lack of trust in God's sovereignty and His providence. Because think of really the reason when you get angry and it's not righteous anger, why are you angry? The reality lays beyond the fact that we don't trust God in that situation. We don't want to trust the providence of God and the things that He lines up and directs because it's not fitting out, it's not following up, it's not happening the way we think it should happen, so now I'm angry. Unrighteous anger leads to the sin of not loving your neighbor as yourself. Because have you ever been so angry with anyone before? Anyone? Anyone been angry with someone else before? I saw like one hand. All right. We get angry with people. And sometimes we think our, angry, our anger is going to change someone's heart, right? If I yell enough, if I yell loud enough, if I just say like even quiet mean words to them, they're going to change their heart. No. You can't change anyone's heart with your anger. They may change their behavior because they don't want to get any more of your wrath. And so your child may stop doing something because they just don't want to hear you yell anymore. Your child may do it because they don't want to hear any wrath from the parents anymore. But there's no changed heart. A spouse may change his or her behavior because they don't want the spouse to Get on them anymore with anger, yelling, whatever it may be. And therefore, the anger of man does not, as James say, produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, we're to have righteous anger, <clears throat> but we are to guard ourselves of this and therefore be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14 helps us and reminds us that we are to pursue the righteousness of Christ. 
We are to pursue God's righteousness, as 1 Peter 1.14 says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. Brother and sister in Christ, we are to pursue righteousness of God. We are made holy by the work of God. And we're to pursue holy living. And when we are not quick to hear, and we are too quick to speak, and we're quick to be angry, we do not take in the word of God as we should. And therefore, that old self and that old life, the dead person, rises up. And as we saw last week, the lusts of our heart, the desires that tempt us, we want to go back to. Instead, we are to pursue the righteousness of God, and anger will not help us in that. He says in verse 21, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. This word filthiness is only used one time in the New Testament, and it means filthiness, uncleanness, wickedness, evil, depravity. He says, let us lay aside, all the believers, lay aside this filthiness. Put it away, this rampant wickedness. Every type of filth flowing from the desires and lusts of our heart. All the wickedness in thought and in action. They're like weeds that are growing up in our life. For those of you who pull up weeds and you love, you can't wait till the weather changes and you got your garden prepared and you know what you're doing and what you're growing this year, you know that you're probably going to face some weeds at some point. You're like, no, pastor, I took care of the soil this year. Well, let's say the weed pops up. What do you do? You ever ripped just the top off a weed before? You're like too lazy to get the the trowel out and dig it up. You're like, ah, I got rid of it. And those roots are going down. What happens to it a few weeks later? It's back and it's as mean as ever. And those roots that you didn't pull up are spreading out more in the garden. And so what you should do is grab the trowel, grab the shovel, dig up the dirt around it, and pull the whole thing out and get rid of it. This is the picture of putting away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. And it's also something that you must know that you can't do. You're like, well, why are you telling us to do it? Because every believer on their own power, apart from the Holy Spirit of God, can do nothing of righteousness. And so anything you do good, holy, and righteous, it's because the Holy Spirit who lives in you empowers you to do that. And it's this process of sanctification, and therefore you need to be in the Word so that as the Holy Spirit opens your eyes to the truth and you are slow, uh, to, uh, you, are, you are quick to hearing the Word of God and you're slow to speak and you're slow to anger, the Holy Spirit's working that truth in you so that you will root up all wickedness and all filth And you'll throw it out as it says, put away the old man. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 20 through 24. The Apostle Paul speaks of this life in Christ. If you're a follower of Christ, he gives a description here of what, how to live. It says in Ephesians 4, verse 20, But that is not the way you learned Christ. 
assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. He writes to the Christians and says, hey, that's not what you learned. That, this life that you're, you're battling, those weeds, those things, that's not how you learned Christ. He says, put away the old self. It's already dead in Christ. And to focus in on the word of God and to abide by it. Turn to Romans chapter 13. And as you turn to Romans chapter 13, you may, be, you may remember a few weeks back, we were looking in the book of Hebrews. And we were reminded that our souls are not made perfect in holiness until the day that we're with Christ face to face. And so, before Christ come back, comes back, if you die, you go to be with Him immediately, and your soul is perfected in holiness. There's no more sin, there's no more weeds, praise God. And one day, when He returns and your body is resurrected, it'll be, you'll be glorified, and, 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 and what a wonderful, glorious day that will be. But while you live and walk here, you still live in and amongst the weeds. And it says in Romans chapter 13, verses 12, The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so then let us cast off. Just like Paul said, put away the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. When we are saved, we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God dwells in the heart of the believer. And because we're not perfected in holiness yet, we live and walk in holiness only by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we are to put off the old. We are to put it away. We are to throw out the old self, pull up the weeds and the roots of that sinfulness, and to know that it only happens by the power of the Holy Spirit as we spend time in the Word of God. Therefore, go back to James, put it away. Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. And you know the Apostle Paul, he could have just gone on with a list of more and more sins. He only listed a few things. Some of you are like, oh, I passed that test. I didn't have any of those ones in my life. Liar. Whatever it may be. He could have gone on an exhaustive list of sins. It's not about checking that box and this and that, whatever. There is constant the old person, the old man welling up, the weeds growing up, and they must be torn out and put away. Instead, James says in verse 21, he says, put those things away and receive with meekness or with humility the implanted word. And if you were here last week, we saw in verse 18, specifically, James is speaking of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In a moment, we'll look at this other uh, word that he uses to talk about the word and the law and the Old Testament, but specifically, he says to receive with meekness or humility the implanted or the engrafted word. To humbly... Open your mind 
your ears, your heart, to the biblical instruction and the truth of God's word. And so he uses this farming term. Much like thinking about the weeds, but he uses this farming term, this implanted or this engrafting, which Paul uses in Ephesians chapter 1, which, which Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 1, that the Word of God is not received rightly unless God implants it there. And then it takes root. If you read Mark chapter 4 and if you read Luke chapter 8, there's the parable of the sower. Many of you know that story. The guy, the farmer goes out and throws the seeds, Right? And there's the hard path. Birds come along, take the seed away and eat it. There's some that falls among the soil and it says that it sprouts up, but there's rock underneath there. And so the roots have nowhere to down get water. Sun comes up and just fries the plant. The third soil is one where a plant sprouts up. There's thorns that come up with it and it chokes the weeds, chokes it out and kills it. None of those produces fruit. And in Mark and Luke, Jesus says, only the one in the good soil where the seed grows up, it produces fruit a hundredfold. The rest all died. Do you get that? Many times I've heard many people, pastors and commentaries, try to spin that parable in a hundred different ways. It's simple. Jesus says these other three soils, they, they, they died. They didn't produce fruit. Only the one in the good soil produced fruit. And therefore... You want to pay attention to that because Mark chapter 4, verse 20, Jesus says, But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. It's not enough for you just to say, Oh, I believe in Christ, because that's what you have in those soils. Not the first one, the hard soil, there's just rejection there. But the soil, the, rock, the rocky soil, it's like, oh, I'm excited about Jesus. And it's like this sprouting up, but yet there's no life in them. There's no fruit. They're not connected to the great shepherd. They're not connected to the vine. There's no growth in them. They die. They wither. They fade. The third one, it's again, oh, I, you know what? Hey, I love Jesus. They may, you may have seen them walk forward and profess faith in something, but there's never been any fruit from their life. There's never any evidence that they actually love the Lord God and have obedience because they did not have the the, the the right soil and they were choked out but only the soil that grows and produces fruit is the one who lived and therefore the believer must possess faith and God implants his living word the gospel in their hearts and as we've looked many weeks in John chapter 3 and 1 Peter chapter 1 Last week in James chapter 1, there is this regenerating work that God, the Holy Spirit, does. When Nicodemus came to Jesus, he says, you must be born again. And so God does this work to cause his people to be born again so that when the word of God, the gospel, is declared and implanted, the believer, the person, apart from Christ, sees the gospel and in faith believes. And God does a work and gives faith to the believer. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah in the Old Testament, chapter 31. As you turn there, we'll look at verse 33. As Jeremiah the prophet speaks the word of God, 
to the nation of Israel. Speaking of the difference between the old and the new covenant, he points to the new covenant. And that it's not just some group of people, the nation Israel. This is for the church, the believers who have heart change to come to them. And it says this in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 33. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people Depending on your version, circle, highlight, underline every one of those that say, I will. Because that's God saying, He will. It doesn't say, we will. It says, I will. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They shall be my people is the result of the work that He does. Therefore, when He says, I will put my law in them, when we read James here, we understand then the implanted word. God puts that in the hearts of His people, which 20, in verse 21, which he says, which is able to save your souls. But it's God who does this implanting, this engrafting. We do not implant ourselves. We do not take the gospel and put, us, put it in us. Romans chapter 10 says, who will go and declare the gospel? Because how can a person even believe unless they hear? And therefore, there is this need for the gospel to be declared, the word of God to be implanted, to be engrafted. And God says, I will do that. Not we ourselves deciding when God will do that. Deciding when he will save us. Because as the word of God tells us, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne. It doesn't belong to us. We're granted salvation by the grace of God, but salvation belongs to God alone. Because it says, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Isaiah 57 states that God dwells with those who are meek and humble and therefore, the gospel, as it's implanted, as it's declared, when we see the gospel of Jesus Christ, when God reveals to us as the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sinfulness, and we see Jesus Christ on the cross and His grace and His mercy and His blood poured out so that we can be forgiven, we believe in Him. And we believe that He died and that He rose again. Therefore, when we die physically, we live for eternity with Him. And so, before we go on to verse 22 in this last part, doers of the Word, we're reminded to be hearers of the Word. That is your response, church. First, to be a hearer of the Word of God. Do you hear the Word of God in the sense of being uh, quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to be angry? And I would say this, you are only going to be a hearer of the Word if you read it. You are only going to be a hearer of the Word of God if you read the Word of God. So, yes, you can have commentaries, you can have devotionals, you can listen to every podcast and every sermon preached ever. And if you avoid just simply going to the Word of God, I believe in a way you're being slow to hear because you're trusting on man. I use commentaries, but they're the last thing I use when I prepare to preach. I've listened to and read many devotionals. 
But man wrote the devotional. And, I, and the thing I struggle about is when it's like one verse for the day, which is great. I need to focus on this verse today. But then I read three paragraphs or two pages full of someone else's view of that verse. They may be right, or they could be totally wrong. And then I go out for my day with one verse of God and this devotional, which may or may not be good, and I'm listening to the person more than God. So this isn't a guilt trip. I've read many devotionals. I've used many commentaries. I listen to at least a sermon a week on what I'm preaching on. Those things are not bad unless you're listening to heresy. Do not go to the Christian whatever website online and top, find the top 10 devotionals, commentaries, and books and go, I need that when you need the Word of God. This is not an attack on you. This is, please take seriously the Word of God. And do not rest and trust in what man creates. So some of you need to Sit down and go, well, but I'm busy. That devotion, I can listen to it on my way to work. Those are great. But you need to be in the Word and hear the Word. When was the last time that you read the Word of God and you just were in awe and you're like, I don't even want to leave right now? When was the last time that you read God's Word and you're like, oh, man, the boss is going to be angry. I'm going to be a little late today. When was the last time that you left from hearing the preaching or the teaching of the word and you didn't run to your closest friend in the church to say, hey, how was this this week? Did you see that game? What did we do this? Instead of like going, wow, did you hear what that verse said today? Church, that's what you should be praying for, for me, as well as I pray that for you. Be hearers of the word and briefly look at verses 22 to 25. Don't only be a hearer of the word, but put it to practice. Be a doer of the word. Verse 22, but be doers of the word and not, what? Hearers only deceiving yourselves. To know the word of God and to not be obedient and do the word of God is deception that you cause for yourself. Because many, many people think, I am good because I opened the Bible this week and I went to church. I get extra credit because I also went to a small group study this week. I am good. And all you do for year after year after year after year is just go to church. And God's saying, you, are, you know my word, but you obviously aren't hearing my word because you're not doing the word. The Word of God should transform how you live and that holy living is seen by God in your life, which He does the work anyways. But it begins with being in the Word and hearing it and then being doers. <clears throat> Do not deceive yourself. Jesus warns of this in Matthew chapter 7 in the Sermon on the Mount in which you come to the end of the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus gives a very sobering warning for the people who hear. Specifically, those who hear the word. He says, not everyone, verse 21, who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. 
On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many, many mighty works in your name? And I went on mission trips in your name and I did music in your name and I served that group in your name and I helped those people cross the street in your name and I blessed those people in your name and I did all those things in your name. And he says this, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. There's a false doing that people live through thinking it grants them salvation and favor with God. That is not the doing which James speaks of. And so if you think you're going to get favor with God for going on the mission trip, for doing that for another person, for giving all your money to a church, you are badly mistaken and deceiving yourself and in great error. And I pray that you see the truth of God's word and that God opens your eyes that he wants you to be obedient because you love him. Not just because he gives a set of rules and say you better abide by him just because I want to give you rules. No. Your obedience does not save you or grant you any merit with God. As Ephesians chapter 2 clearly lays out for all of us. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is, the, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. And then verse 10 is the key. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So yes, you should be doers of the word. You should be doing good works. Some of those things I mentioned are good works, but it goes back to the heart, your heart. After salvation then comes good works, which should come naturally, but they don't because we need the Holy Spirit to move in us. The Word of God to teach us and to help us walk in holy living. And so the grace of God regenerating in our hearts so that we would have the faith of God, this gift of God of salvation that we're created for good works and that we would produce fruit of righteousness. And Jesus says in Luke chapter 11, verse 28, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Do you labor, do you work at hearing the word of God so that the natural outflow by the power of the Holy Spirit would be doing the word of God? We need to labor at that. This isn't just something that we just flagrantly do. We go, oh, I guess I'll do my devotional today. Ah, feeling kind of bad today. Sorry, Lord, forgive me. I better read. Put our head down on the pillow at night. Oh, I should pray right now. No. Those things should well up because we love God, because we've spent time hearing the word of God and understanding the grace of God that he has upon us. When you see God's grace upon your life, forgiving you of your wickedness, the outflow of your heart is naturally to love him. And you desire and want to do righteousness and to walk in holiness and therefore, in James, look at these last couple verses here. Verse 23, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, here's the warning again, he is a man, like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and once forgets what he is like. I don't know how many of you did not look in a mirror this morning. 
Most of you looked in the mirror. Even if it was like glancing out the door. Make sure I don't got any egg on my face or something. Some of you spend a lot of time in front of the mirror this morning. Doing every little thing, getting ready. But he's like, the person who hears and, and doesn't do is like the person who goes and sees themselves in a mirror and then they go away, they forget what they look like. And the mirror for you is the Word of God. You look to the Word of God and the Word of God shows you our sinfulness without Christ and shows the Christian the righteousness of Christ after salvation. And he says, the person who does not do the word of God is the person who reads it and goes about their day and never does what the word of God says to do. And know at the same time, you will never, ever in this life perfectly do everything that God calls you to do. You won't. It's not till the day you're made perfect in holiness and you're with him for eternity. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, it says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. I love this verse because it reminds me that that transforming work that God's doing in me, that sanctification, it is the Spirit of God. And He calls me to His Word, and I'm to be a hearer of it. And He enables me from that to live accordingly. Verse 25, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. When it says to look, it means this picture that Peter uses of angels looking into the things of the gospel, like literally leaning forward is the word, the original language there, leaning forward and studying something up closely, getting those glasses out, that magnifying glass to study it. That's the picture of the person as he writes to these Jewish believers who would have known the Old Testament law and the prophets of looking into it, calling it the law of liberty. And this word law and word here. It's different than what he uses in the last few verses we saw of the gospel here, specifically the Old Testament law, which we know from God's word that not anyone can uphold or keep in whatsoever in any way, but the law of liberty, the word of God, and the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit is able to save And since the law of God is perfect, from it we have true liberty because the Word of God grants us the ability to do what we should do. That's the liberty that we have in Christ. And to do what we should do must be grounded in the Word of God, which is truth. Last verse is John 8, 31, 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, Believed him, if you abide, he says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If you are a true disciple of Christ, you will abide in the word. Read John chapter 15 this week. Abide in the word of God, and the outflow of your life by the power of the Holy Spirit will be obedience, and you will be a hearer and a doer. 
So let us persevere in the knowledge of God. Let us lay aside all filthiness and unrighteousness and pursue the righteousness of Christ. Let us learn to hear the word of God by reading it and not settling for the devotion of the day. Let us be doers of the word of God and not hearers only. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we ask you to do what is impossible for us. We ask that you would save your people from their sins by declaring to them the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray that you would work in them and show them their sin and show them your grace. Would you work in them that they would believe in you and be saved. And Father, for my brothers and sisters in Christ here in this room, would you enable us this week, today, to be hearers of your word and to be doers. That we would be people who are quick to hear your word and spend time in it. That we would be slow to speak. That we would slow to be angry. And that we would see you producing us the fruit of righteousness. We praise you, Jesus. We give you glory and praise and thanksgiving for giving your life for us. In Jesus' name, amen.